Uh, good morning. We doing well? You doing well? You doing well, sir? You're, you're good? You're good, I'm good. You good, Gunner? I got the thumbs up, so that either means I'm good or that's it for you, right? One of those two things. Hey, we are so glad you were here. Let me give you uh, two important announcements. The first one being uh, next Sunday, we are asking you to bring in your Merge Christmas Kids gifts. Uh, just a reminder, please do not wrap them uh, and then place them in that bag that you brought with you. Uh, each uh, item needs to have uh, the kid's family number and the angel number. Uh, that way, if for some reason it gets separated, we will have a, a good way of tracking down who that gift goes to. Uh, and so bring those with you next Sunday. Uh, we'll, we'll take some time during our gathering to uh, pray over them, and then we'll deliver them uh, the following day uh, to One Love up here. Uh, I believe we have uh, six to eight kids left uh, to adopt. If you would uh, like to take the, the opportunity to do that, uh, I, I feel like I need to make this clarification every year. Um, we're not trying to guilt you into uh, adopting those kids. We will gladly take care of them through the church's community tithe. Uh, but uh, I'm not a good gift buyer. Uh, and so if you want to ruin a kid's Christmas, let me go buy their clothes and their toys. And so, yeah, that's huge. Well, I'm not guilting you uh, at all. And then secondly, uh, we sent out some information uh, this, past weekend, this past week about uh, if you would like to have some Advent conversations in your home, uh, the Village Church has put out a great resource, uh, and we would love to get you uh, connected with that. We had one uh, conversation, our first conversation of the Advent season this, thir- this past Thursday night in our home. And so uh, it was great if you're like, hey, this is a good condensed 10-minute version of, hey, can we have a serious conversation this week? Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for that. And so we want to encourage you in your uh, homes to be walking with your family as we uh, get ready, as we anticipate celebrating Christmas this year for a reason. Uh, and so if you need information about that, you're going to email Misty at misty at mergecc.com, uh, and we will make sure we get you the link for the PDF. And so I think that's all I had. Anybody else have an announcement? No? Okay, good, good. All right. Hey, as we take some time today uh, to lift high the name of Jesus, uh, I, I want us to be able to uh, take a moment and, and ask God to speak to us today. Uh, I, I think it's easy for us to come in on Sunday mornings and, and be in a routine and say, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to listen, and then I'm going to go home. But, but today you and I have an incredible opportunity uh, to respond to God's great love that he displays in Jesus. And so uh, instead of our, our normal, um, like, hey, let's stand, shake hands, and all that stuff, you save that for later, uh, but let, let's take just a few moments here, and let's ask God to speak to us today.
God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to just set our hearts right uh, with you right here, uh, right now. We need you. We desperately need you. I pray that, that every heart in this place understands how much we need you. And this morning, I pray that our hearts are willing to make the declaration that we want to lay down any idea that we're supposed to be this perfect Christian that's supposed to look this certain way. Because the fact is, Father, that's not what qualifies our relationship with you. In reality, our willingness to be able to see our brokenness and this sense of urgency in our hearts and an understanding that you're the only one that can heal. You're the only one that can truly mend our brokenness. That's that's what qualifies us. That you sent your son on a cross, not because we had it all together, because we were in desperation. We needed you, and we continue to need you. I pray that we continue we continue to decrease. Our prayer is that you would increase in our lives. We need you. We sing these songs, these praises. We dive into your word because of this fact that we need you. We love you. It's in your son's beautiful and holy name that we pray these things this morning.
hope right now that you're with us. That you're in this presence. If you're not right now, I ask and I challenge you to pray like you never have before. That you would meet with him right now. That nothing else matters, just you and him.
last song we're going to sing uh, this morning. It's crazy to me to think that a baby in a manger would be the thing that would allow us to not only just touch heaven, to not only just get a glimpse of heaven, to be able to spend an eternity in heaven. That God would be willing to send His only Son for us to be able to take part in that. And so, Father, this morning, it is our desire, our passion, Speak to me. 
to see that our relationship is not wrapped around an idea of what Christianity looks like. But our relationship is wrapped around an understanding that we desperately Difficult prayer. Pray, Father. But there are some strongholds in our lives. 
are some anchor points that are not found in you. So I pray that we would be a church that would want to live within your love, not just know about your love, to live within who you are. to understand your word, to not wrap your word into our line of thinking, but to be able to wrap our hearts and our minds around your word, around an understanding of who you are and what you've called us. In your son's beautiful name we pray and we ask these things. Amen. You guys can be seated. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke 1, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, just raise your hand and uh, Mark will gladly uh, run one to you. Uh, we were planning on starting a journey through the Gospel of Luke in the beginning of January. And uh, the more time I spent kind of laying out kind of how we would approach uh, this gospel, the more I realized and just saw a great opportunity uh, to build anticipation uh, for Christmas through the opening chapters of this incredible book. And now, as we start another journey through a book of the Bible, I, I always find it helpful to come in and remind us uh, why we believe in expositional preaching here at Merge. Uh, really, uh, we believe it's important to to read books of the Bible verse by verse because uh, we, we think it's important to read the Word in context and then to read the Word with courage. Uh, in fact, uh, I think it's a dangerous time that we live in when pastors like myself can take parts of a verse and create a theology that looks a lot like God but really can lead us to dangerous and and deadly places. And so uh, what we want to do is we want to pray that God's word would reveal itself in context and in his time and in his ways so that we can be doing life at, at his speed. And then uh, we also read with courage because uh, when we go verse by verse, uh, there are really no places to hide. 
especially from passages that make us feel uncomfortable or, or call us out or reveal parts of our hearts uh, that we think we can hide from God. And, and now if, if we really, truly believe that God's heart is for us, then every single word of the Bible is, is this merciful gift uh, that He's given us. And, and we have the privilege of cherishing every single uh, verse since it's given to us as a benefit to us and a way to, to build us up. Uh, and so, so Luke is going to take a while, uh, I should say. Uh, in fact, God willing, it'll be anywhere between uh, like 83 and 1,422 weeks. Uh, and so, not really that many, uh, but anywhere between 83 and 100 uh, weeks. And, and now we, we don't plan on going straight through it the way that we uh, have done with looks like, like the Hebrews. Um, but even if we did, I assure you, uh, I, I don't see how we could ever get tired of walking with Jesus uh, through these pages because this gospel drips with worship and anticipation as we get a walk with our Savior King. And, and so, so each week becomes this deeper journey toward the love of God being displayed uh, in Jesus, in our Redeemer, for us. And, and so, so what's going to lead us as we talk about the Christmas season, uh, these next three weeks, is going to focus our hearts around two births of the utmost importance. Uh, in fact, uh, we'll, we'll actually, as a church, I guess, uh, technically celebrate Christmas in January uh, this year. That's when we'll arrive to the birth of Jesus. Uh, but but what, I, what I don't want us to do, I, I think the lead up here is so important that I don't want us to miss it. And so, so these next two weeks are going to be spent focused on the foretelling of two significant births. Uh, this week will be the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist, uh, and then next week will be the birth of uh, the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. And then on the 20th, as we celebrate, uh, we're going to come in and we're going we're gonna to spend some time in a song of praise uh, that Mary sings as God reveals these things to her heart, and, uh, and as she talks about God's goodness in sending our, our Messiah. And, and now, uh, as we start in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, everything I just said is going to feel disjointed, uh, because the first four verses of this book are important to deal with, because it kind of sets the context for all the chapters of uh, what Luke says in this gospel, and then in his follow-up uh, volume in the, the act, in the book of Acts. And so, um, so let's briefly talk about that as we make our way to the foretelling of uh, the, the birth of John the Baptist. And so, so Luke opens his gospel in a weird way, at least in my estimation, uh, in a weird way, because he doesn't, the way he talks in these first four verses, he doesn't really talk uh, like in any other uh, chapter of the rest of this book. And so, so instead of starting a letter the way we would all do, like we were in school, like, hey, what's up? Not much here. What's up with you, right? Uh, this, is, this is how Luke starts, and I, I find it to be strange. Now, if you don't, that's fine. You're just not as um, cool as me. So here we go. Verse 1, chapter 1, he says this, Inasmuch 
as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, when I read that, I think this is about as far as I want to get in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Because I'm like, if I have to work this hard to understand these first four verses, I don't know if I can do it. Um, But mercifully, that's not what happens. So so let me me tell you what, what Luke is telling us. The intent of Luke is that he is writing a letter to a person named... Theophilus. Uh, and, uh, and what he wants to do is he wants to help Theophilus have certainty uh, of belief when it comes to the narrative of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's, that's his intention. And I think this is important because we cannot live without belief of some sort. Uh, in fact, uh, we may believe in God or we may believe in our bodies or we may believe in a material universe that, that has meaning or has no meaning whatsoever. But, but in either case, we are believers. Uh, there, there are no unbelievers in the world. There's, there's just people who believe differently. And so, so the question that we're left with uh, is, 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 is can we be sure that what we believe is true. And specifically, when it comes to how God relates to man, how do we know that what is being said to us and what we believe is true? And, and so Luke intends uh, for, for what he shares as, as an investigative journalist to help Theo uh, have certainty regarding what he's been taught about Jesus. And so by extension... We can rest in knowing that what Luke is writing to Theophilus, he's also writing to us, so that we can be certain that what we believe is is true. And I think he takes us into an eyewitness account. So, so Luke didn't walk with Jesus, but he walked with the people who walked with Jesus. He has all these eyewitness accounts, and he, in fact, he will take us all the way back to this scene because he knows Mary, Jesus's mother, and and so, and I think. Um, ultimately, he, he's going to take us into these eyewitness accounts, and he's also going to take us to these promises that we find in the Old Testament. And now, now, one simple way of understanding the Bible's organization is this: that that the Old Testament are are promises made, and the New Testament are promises fulfilled. That's that's the balance that we find. Uh, and so uh, when, we, when the Old Testament looks forward to God keeping promises that, that he makes with Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and King David, and the New Testament books like, like Luke's Gospel um, will record for us how God kept those promises. You with? Does that make sense? Um, and so in, in short, Luke intends to report, uh, what he intends to report is about what God accomplishes, how God accomplishes his plans and then how us humans saw it happen. And, and so, after all, a person's faith is only as good as the object that they rest their faith on. And, and we can be confident 
in what we believe only if what we believe is is true. And, and so what we offer in Christianity is is a faith that is is biblically and historically and verifiably true, and therefore it can be trustworthy. And so as we start uh, in verse 5 this morning, the main idea that's going to carry us today and, and really into next week is this, is that God always accomplishes His plans for His people. God always accomplishes His plans for His people. We've been spending months, in fact, just following this simple thought, haven't we? Uh, as we've walked with the Israelites. That every single thing God says to be true comes true. And so, so when we, there, there's going to be two scenes that reveal two basic ways that we respond to this truth. Now, spoiler alert, this one uh, today might be the more difficult of the two to understand, but I think it's relatable uh, to us. Because verses, uh, verse 5 to verse 45 are going to cover two miraculous pregnancies. Uh, this morning, God miraculously will open the womb of an old woman uh, named Elizabeth. And then next week, God miraculously opens the womb of a virgin girl named Mary. And, and, and Luke doesn't begin with full-grown Jesus, and he doesn't even begin with, with infant Jesus. Luke begins this gospel in the, two, in the wombs of two women. And I think in doing so, what he does is he illustrates uh, how God in his infinite wisdom worked for the redemption of his people in this specific way so that we could see from the beginning of Luke his words foretold coming to fruition. And, and so the response we're going to see this morning, and again this is a spoiler alert, uh, is that, that sometimes when it comes to God's plans, we may respond in unbelief. And I know some of you are like, what? Never. I've never heard of that. I've never, I've never heard God tell me to do something, or I've never heard God promise me something, and I respond in unbelief, but some of us do. And so that's, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So you can go ahead and just fill out your grocery order if, if this does not apply to you. Um, and so here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Okay. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Verse 7, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And now, the context in, the opening chapter, in this opening chapter is revealing to us because it's, it's roughly been about 400 years since God has spoken to His people through a prophet. Uh, in fact, the last uh, book that we find in the Old Testament is Malachi, and that's believed to be the last voice that God uses to speak. And so for about 400 years, God has been silent. In fact, the closing chapters of Malachi, is this, it brings into this painful few centuries of the Jewish people because uh, they, were, they were continuing in the pattern that they've always continued in. Uh, they have these seasons where they seek God and then they turn their back to God. They seek God, turn their back to God. Seek God, turn their back to God. And, and verse 5 introduces us to two people, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were living during the days of King Herod, king of Judea. Now this is, this is Herod the Great. 
Uh, in fact, he will reign from uh, 37 B.C. to about 4 B.C. And, and what he, who he is is essentially a puppet king uh, because uh, he is placed into uh, his kingdom by Rome. And, uh, in fact, this was not a peaceful time in Israel. Uh, they were a defeated people. They were watching a foreign power occupy their land. And again, uh, just like we were at with the Exodus in Egypt, uh, this is a time when the people of God are praying to God and crying out to God for deliverance from their oppressors. And, and so, so Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, they descend from uh, the same kind of family line. Uh, they, are, they are descendants of Aaron, who is... Uh, Moses' brother, he's the father of the priesthood. And so anytime we get into uh, like the Levitical law, which I know a lot of you are like, can we get into that today? No, we are not. Um, but, but it always follows through this line of Aaron. It says that, that Elizabeth was from the daughters of Aaron, and then uh, Zechariah was a priest from Abiah's division, which means he's, he's, he, his people served the temple from the time of, of King David. And so, but as for character, it says that both of these people are, are blameless and, and they are righteous. Uh, and, and so they were even faithful into this old age. And what, what a great privilege it is to have God remember us this way. That as they get older, they still walk blamelessly. As they get older... They still are righteous people. And then, and then what happens is verse 7 narrows our focus into a challenge that, that they faced in that uh, we're, we're meant to understand really the sadness of, of their situation. Um, they were righteous, but they were childless. And they, they probably wondered why they were childless if they were righteous or, or they, they thought if we're truly righteous... Um, or they thought, am I truly righteous if I am childless? And, and I think this is all part of our human tendency to, com- to conflate God's approval with our blessings, right? That if things are going well, then God must really like us. But if things are challenging, then apparently God doesn't like us anymore or doesn't like us at the moment. And the, the problem with this is that even though it's common, it remains wrong. And it remains incorrect. That, so, so think about this from, just for a moment, from Elizabeth's perspective. That, that when she was a, a younger woman, newly married to Zechariah, there's no doubt that well-meaning people probably ask, Hey, when are y'all going to have kids? And then, and then we get a little bit further along in life, and, and people go from, When are you going to have kids? to, Hey, we're praying for you. And now in old age, they whisper around her and they say, she can't have children. And, and you, could, you could probably see the concern on their faces. And imagine how difficult it might have been for her to rejoice in the pregnancy of, of other women without feeling sorrow for her own barrenness. And, and Elizabeth was so well aware of what she calls her disgrace among the people. She's going to say this in verse 25. Her disgrace among the people, um, that she felt this stigma and she felt this shame, and really she didn't need to. 
she didn't need to. In fact, it says they were well along in years. And so, so at some point in life, Elizabeth and, and Zechariah had to adjust to the reality that there could not have children was, in fact, a would not have children, or at least so they thought. And, and I think our, our disappointment in life will either make us bitter or it can make us better. Uh, and I think there, there's a danger where our disappointments can produce really just a terrible theology uh, and when it comes to the denials of God and, and really His goodness. And, and so, so in Elizabeth and Zechariah's case, what, what, I, what I hope we would understand um, is that the striking thing is that they, they handled a lifelong disappointment and social shame with righteousness and blamelessness before God. They did. Even though this was going on, they still looked at God and they said, I still want to live according to your ways. I still want to, to walk in your presence. And they, they served God even though they did not have really what, what they wanted. And I think being blameless and, and righteous does not mean a challenge-free life. In fact, I don't think it means exemption from heartaches or that, that every desire will be granted. And, and, and I should say that if, if you serve God for what you can get, then you're actually just serving yourself. That's what it is. Uh, you're actually looking at him and saying, Hey, I expect you to be just like the genie from Aladdin. And I expect you to give me whatever, whatever it is I want. Um, and that's really not serving him. That's, that's serving yourself. And, and I think that, my friend, is, is quite possibly the definition of the prosperity gospel, not a biblical gospel. And so, so we may live well past the years of possibility without receiving our hope. But if we are God's people, we will live righteously anyways because our hope is in God, not in our circumstance. And so, so Elizabeth and Zechariah, they, they endured this very test, that their example provokes us to ask, will we serve God faithfully through our disappointments? Uh, no child, or, or, or no husband, or no dream job, or no dream house, or, or no car, or, or no cowboys winning a game ever again for the rest of our lives, right? Will God mean more to us than all of those things though we receive none of them? I think that's a striking question. So let's go to verse 8. Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of, of incense. So now we, now we zero in. Luke zeroes in on Zechariah the priest. And his division has been called up to the temple in Jerusalem to serve their rotation as priests. Now, priests would rotate twice a year uh, for certain feasts and festivals, and, but, but something special happens uh, during this rotation. Zechariah was chosen to enter the sanctuary of the Lord. And because there were so many priests serving the temple, this literally is a once-in-a-lifetime possibility or an opportunity and and so so god what we'll find is that god is working providentially to extend this special priest this special honor 
Uh, in fact, Zechariah would have the honor of going into the holy place before the presence of God and burning incense during the sacrifice. And this is where I pick it up in verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for, and you could circle this in your Bible if you're brave enough, right? Uh, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and, and, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. And here's what I'd like you to do there. Put an underline, and then right at the end of that, Go ahead and put a cross. Because the him that we're referring to is Jesus. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for, and then make that same movement under the Lord, underline, and then across at the end, a people prepared. He, he will go to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this scene plays out and, and an angel appears during this time of, of focused worship. And, and angels are, are glorious and majestic and awesome creatures. Uh, they, they strike fear into the hearts of even those who are righteous. In fact, they're so awesome and they're so powerful that two things often happen when an angel appears. Uh, that, that number one, people mistake the majesty of an angel for God himself. And then number two, people will see the angel and they will be struck, struck with fear. Like it's, un, it's not uncommon for people just to fall down on their face in fear. In fact, this is what Zechariah experiences. And, but, as we, if you remember when we were in the, the book of Hebrews, angels are simply messengers. This is why it's so important that we would not confuse Jesus as an angel because the angels were sent to speak about what God wants people to hear. And so, so the angels are subject to Christ and, and so, so angels are, are messengers and according to, to Acts 7.53, angels deliver God's word and this is exactly what's happening in verses 13 through 17 and, and it's a wonderful message. It's an incredible message. In fact, God says seven things through Gabriel, the angel, to Zechariah and let's just, let's just walk through them very quickly because you've already heard them, right? So the first thing he says is do not be afraid. What, what a wonder, this alone should comfort us, that the assurance that when the Lord is present, we don't have to have fear in the ways that we typically will. I know, it's funny. Number two, your prayer has been heard. And now here's what I want you to note about that. There's not a plural to this. He says, your prayer has been heard. And so, so the question is, which prayer? 
And Gabriel is going to tell Zechariah your prayer for a son. And I wonder, I wonder in this moment um, that if, if Zechariah had to search his heart or search his prayer journal for which prayer this angel is talking about. Uh, that, that he says, you know, the angel says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, you will name him John. That, that is it possible that the angel delivered an answer to a prayer that John prayed long ago and now has almost forgotten? Or maybe not forgotten, but abandoned. Which makes me wonder how many prayers I've abandoned that, that God in his time will answer. That the truth is, in the fullness of time, God sent an angel on this day, in this circumstance, and he, to say simply this, I heard you and I have you in mind. That, that God had, had restored his prayers until this, uh, uh, God had stored his, Zechariah's prayers until this dramatic moment in his plan for for salvation, and God was so interested and delighted in Zechariah's prayers that he himself names the child. There's going to be debate later on when John is born about, I don't, you shouldn't name him John. That's a dumb name. Nobody in your family's, you know, named that. And, and really, you could make that argument with the exception that God himself says, name your child John. And so, so, so he says, do not be afraid. And then, then what he says is, your prayer has been heard. And then as he's talking about John, he says, number three, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Many. And now, here's the thing. If we stopped just there, if we stopped with those three statements, it would be, um, it, it would include almost everything that human beings want, right? We don't want to be afraid. We want to be part of a family. And we want to be happy. And we'd be like, I'm full. I'm full. But how often do we settle for the small prizes that God offers when he has so many more greater prizes? Because the angel goes on. says, number four, he, John, will be great before the Lord. In fact, Jesus will later say about John, there is no one, no one born greater from woman than him. Not one person. I mean, what an, what an incredible endorsement. So, so God will have special regard for this child. He will be a mighty, mighty man of God. Number five, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his womb. And we're going we're gonna to see this, I think it's next week. Um, we're going to see an incredible moment of this taking place, at the, again, next week. Uh, but the fact that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit is because his anointing has a great purpose. Number six, Gabriel says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. God will use Zechariah's son to ignite a revival in all of Israel. In fact, people will come from, from miles and miles around to see him in a desert, to be baptized by him. That's why we call him John the, the Baptist. Then number seven, the angel says, he will go before him. So John 
will go before Jesus as the forerunner and the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so, so the angels speaking to Zechariah in the temple was, was a historic and it was a unique moment in, in our history. In the history of our, of our salvation, that, that not since the last words of the last book of the Old Testament had God spoken. And again, this is, this is 400 years ago. So generations come and generations go and they don't hear God speak to them. And when God does speak, what, is, what does he say? He picks up exactly where he had left off. He picked up exactly. God made promises in the Old Testament that he now begins to fulfill in the New Testament. And, and he sends John as another Elijah who will prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And that's what Christmas is all about. The eager anticipation of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so with all this in mind, Zechariah responds in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Right? That's, I think that's how he said it. Because he doesn't want Elizabeth to know what he said to Gabriel. Um, so he says, how, how, how shall I know this? And I think seeing and hearing an angel, for Zechariah, it's not enough. And like we, because we want to read it as, you know, super spiritual people and we're like how do you not this is so unique how do you not miss this man what what more proof can you possibly need and yet zechariah needs more proof just like we do from time to time and i think when our eyes are on our problems uh in zechariah's case his old age um we it makes it so much more difficult for us to receive god's word and I think it makes it so much more difficult to receive uh, God's power. That, that we cannot think our problems are great and God's power is great at the same time. Okay? Because one of those two things will elevate, just a, will exalt a little bit more than the other. And in fact, I, I recently heard it illustrated this way. That, that did you know... And I'm going to assume that none of you did. That way I'm teaching you something today. You can, today, go out and blot out the sun with a quarter. That all you have to do is bring that quarter close enough to your eye, you can block out the entire sun. And that's exactly what, when we talk about disappointment, when we talk about challenges, that's, that's what happens. The focus becomes on the quarter, not on the sun. And so, so we sometimes hold our problems and we hold our, our limitations to our eyes in this way, that we bring them so close to our eyes that we cannot see the great and the glowing sun of God's promises in His great power. We say it's impossible. And so, so, so why could, in this moment, why couldn't Zechariah remember just the story of Abraham. Everybody knows this story, right? Genesis chapter seven, uh, 17, that, that, that Abraham was well advanced in years. Uh, Sarah was well advanced in years. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. And guess what happens? God fulfills that promise. 
And out of that, you have Israel. You get the people of God from this moment that God says, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have a son named Isaac. And Isaac's going to have a son. His son's going to be named Jacob. And then I'm going to change Jacob's name into Israel. And I'm going to make a nation out of him. But for some reason in this moment, uh, Zechariah uh, forgets his Sunday school lessons. And he says, how? Even though it's the exact same situation. And so and I, think, I think we can offer him some grace, but, but we shouldn't allow this to be a model for us to follow. Because, because what Zechariah is revealing is that we can be a righteous person in the holiest place, we can be carrying out the holiest acts of worship, and we can still not believe God's goodness. And unbelief, it's, it's, it's so sneaky that, that it can slither its way right into the middle of spiritual worship. And what the angel says to him is God has answered your prayer. And Zechariah says, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's the way it works. So we, we can start wrapping this up. So verse 19. And the angel answered him, and I love this. He says, I am Gabriel. Now check this out. Don't, don't miss this in the midst of everybody in the room moving, okay? Don't miss this. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, okay, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled. And what's these next few words? In their time. And it says the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and, and he kept making signs to them and he remained mute. And he, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And so, so now here's what I want you to understand, okay? Zechariah is not the villain of this story. Okay? He is a person who is walking in unbelief. And God will make his presence very evident in, John, in, in Zechariah's life because God is working towards the pursuit of his glory, his own glory, not Zechariah's. And so, so, so he's, a, he's a fellow traveler who's struggling with unbelief. And because of this, he's going to remain mute. And what's going to happen is this is going to further reveal the power and the fulfillment of God's power. And, and so... And so this phrase, which will be fulfilled in their time, should serve as a reminder of what God says today. In fact, the next word Zechariah will utter will be praises to God. It will be a great prophecy that's spoken over John. And we're going to get there. It will be sometime in January. But we're going to get to what uh, Zechariah says about his son. Because he's going to come out and he's going to write, hey, his name's going to be John. Uh, and then he's going to, when he speaks... He will speak of the goodness of our Father. But here's where I want us to end. Verse 24 
Okay? Don't, don't miss this. Because God has told Zechariah, I'm going to do something. And Zechariah will look at the angel Gabriel and he will say, God can't do that. It's no possible way. But it says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I think that's an important distinction. I think Elizabeth teaches us something. Because she says that God has taken away my reproach but not my reproach with him. Because God doesn't see me as broken in this moment. So she takes away my reproach from among the people. And so, so I, I love this because she says, number one, I, for number one, I, I love that God is true to his word. That, that because when he is found true in his word, it gives us greater confidence to us to rely on all the other words. And then I think, secondly, I love that God cares so intimately for us that he takes away our reproach between us and him, and that comes in Jesus. But then he takes away our reproach among people because of Jesus. So God will speak. And here's, here's where we're at again. God always, always accomplishes His plan for His people. Always does. There's never been a moment that He doesn't. Never. And you read the Word, and, and this, it's a case study of seeing this played out time and time again. God always accomplishes His plan for His people. God always accomplishes His plan for His people. And I think some of us just need to hear that on repeat. Because we might be in a spot where we don't think that's true. But God always accomplishes His plan for His people. So every single promise, okay? And now here's for me, the promise that my heart has just been trying to live inside is I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So as we walked with the Israelites in the Exodus, every time that pillar was there, remember last week we said that, that, that God's presence is our promised land and that when God says I will never leave you, that means in every single circumstance... His presence is there. In every single promise He makes, it remains true. That there's not a, a power strong enough in hell that can separate and, and destroy those promises. There's not one. There's not one whisper of the enemy that can be louder and stronger than the promises of God. There cannot be. And so, so we, we, we hear this singularly today 
in your circumstance, whatever it may be. But what we're getting to see from a wide perspective in these verses is God says, I'm going to give you a son, Zechariah. You're going to name him John, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Because that's the biggest promise God ever makes with us. That I am the Lord, your God. I am making the way for you to have a restored relationship with me. So regardless of what it is, and I get it's easy for me to look at you and say, well, stop doubting God. I get, I get that's easy for me to say to you. And you in this moment be like, well, maybe I should try that out. But it always comes down to this. If God has never broken his promise since time began, why in the world would he start now with you? Why? Our desire this week is to love God by loving people. Let me pray for us and remind you, if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. We want to know about your circumstance so that we can battle alongside you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart so you have no possible way to find peace. Maybe you have questions about Jesus. You just want to ask somebody. We want, we want to answer those questions with you. And the, answers that we, the questions that we don't know the answer to, we want to tell you that. We want to go find those answers with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you, you find us. But Father, this morning, we thank you that every single one of your promises come true. We thank you that, that all of our prayers are yes and amen to you. And we pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus, you would help us understand more and more and more of your great love for us so that we could press deeper into you, so that we could be found deeper into you and that we would be able to believe without doubt. Father, for those of us in here that just need help with our unbelief, we pray that we would see in your word how good you are. And then we would see in our circumstance how good you are. Father, we thank you that Zechariah's impossibilities were not impossible. We thank you that regardless of our age, you are willing to use us for your glory. So we stop and we say thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.